This episode of the 3D Insights podcast is brought to you by SEMI, the leading microelectronics industry association with programs that help its members grow their business and address top challenges worldwide. With a global focus on advocacy, the microelectronic supply chain, sustainability, and workforce development, SEMI works with industry leaders to align goals, share best practices, and accelerate progress. Learn more at SEMI.org. Hi there. I'm Francoise Von Trapp, and this is the 3D Insights Podcast. Hi, everyone. This episode was recorded live at Semicon West 2023, where building an agile supply chain was a hot topic of discussion. Now, the electronics industry continues to be in a state of flux. After two years of shortages, delays, and skyrocketing costs, the causes of supply chain disruptions keep changing rapidly. There is no single cause. Economic uncertainty, legislation, geopolitics, sustainability, and regionalization are all at play. Now, agility is the name of the game, and companies must act quickly to changing needs. So here with me to discuss this important topic are semis Bettina Weiss and Bindia Vakil of Resilink. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Francoise. Thank you. So I'm really excited about this interview because one of my favorite conversations I ever had to date was with Bindia, who, and we had it at after semi-ISS in 2022, and we talked about creating a risk-ready supply chain. So if you didn't listen to that, when I'm going to actually put a link in the show notes and you should go back and listen to it because it was excellent. Um, so welcome back. And Bettina, this is your first time on the podcast. After 27 years at SEMI, that's saying something. <laughs> so before we dive in, actually, can you each talk about your roles at your company? Bettina, why don't you start? Sure. Thank you, Francoise. So I'm Chief of Staff and Corporate Strategy at SEMI. I have a lot of things to do that are forward-looking for SEMI. Uh, the next disruption, the next trends in innovation, the next fill in the blank. So we're looking at quantum and generative AI. We're looking, of course, uh, very critically right now at supply chain management, um, but also at end market applications like smart mobility, for example. So these are some of the projects and initiatives that I'm driving with our members. Okay. And Vindya? So I'm the founder and CEO of Resilink. Uh, my background is I come from the high-tech industry, sourcing and procurement roles at Cisco, Flextronics, and Broadcom. And I started Resilink in 2010 with the goal of mapping the global supply chain, understanding that there was no standard framework for collecting the type of necessary vital information about where did the parts we buy that go into our critical products come from. So we started Resilink as what we call, quote-unquote, the LinkedIn of supply chain. Um, so that if I'm a supplier, I can put my mapping and information in once and share it securely with many of my customers. And then we map and monitor events using a lot of AI and natural language processing. And we have an early warning system so that anytime any of those mapped locations has a disruption, we're going to alert our customers and allow them to start collaborating with their suppliers on our platform. It's kind of a supply chain community. It's a community, actually. It's an ecosystem. And we all are part of a connected network. Customers mm -hmm. are suppliers to someone. Suppliers are customers of someone. And so we've created this ability for companies to network and connect and work together to solve these massive disruptions that keep hitting our supply chain. Okay, excellent. So 
let's get to the topic. Why are we still struggling with supply chain issues after two years? You know, the semiconductor industry is incredibly complex. Um, it's the product itself, the semiconductor manufacturing process. Um, they're ubiquitous now, where years before we would see semiconductors used in high-tech, networking, switching, routing type of devices, computers. Now they're used in medical devices. Heck, they're in shoes. <laughs> they're in coffee machines. They're in appliances. They're everywhere. They're in massive aerospace uh, defense equipment to elevators and all everything you look at has semiconductors now and the industry is incredibly fast-paced from a technology development standpoint and manufacturing doesn't change that quickly but in this industry we have to and building a way for fab is billions of dollars it's incredibly complex so all the available capacity that we have runs at 95 plus percent capacity utilization now hit this supply chain with 2,000 factory fires, which is literally what happened in 2022. There were 2,000 factory fires. And a semiconductor factory, even a little bit of smoke damage can destroy the clean room environment and cause a three-month disruption. So this is a very challenging industry to then have to repurpose that factory, get it back online, go through the qualification process, repair any equipment, then build the inventory back and bring it on. So, and that's just one type of disruption. I mean, we're seeing so many that have happened. The bottom line is we're going to never see the pace of disruptions go down. Okay. That's, yeah. that's the bottom line. Not that they didn't exist already. It's just that the whole perfect storm came to a head and it's with all of the increased use of semiconductors, it's not going back. We're always going to have to be managing the supply chain issues, and the better we manage them now, the less disruptions we're going to have. I also think that um, there was a collective gasp when the chip shortage really hit home because I think the industry as a whole felt really flat-footed, not prepared. Uh, so everybody was reactive and, and trying to scramble for, for chips and what they could get. And the war in Ukraine uh, opened eyes when all of a sudden we learned that neon. Right. Neon, xenon, and krypton gases were impacted. Right. And all of a sudden there was war in the middle of Europe. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, I think this notion of we don't want to get caught this badly again. We want to be better prepared and more resilient collectively as a supply chain. I think that played a big role in it. And, and just one more thing to add to that is because of the proliferation of semiconductors in all these different devices, we have a new type of buyer entering the semiconductor market literally on an ongoing basis where before high-tech industry companies had very tight relationships with their semiconductor suppliers. Now you have a whole new set of players that are buying semiconductors that without the knowledge of the complexity and expertise managing semiconductor supply chains or having those deep, many decades-long relationships with those suppliers. For example? Automotive companies. If you have Nike buying semiconductors, right, you have okay. medical device companies buying semiconductors. What I'm saying is the there's there's a long-standing relationship between mm -hmm. these companies with their high-tech customers. Um like when the COVID pandemic happened, automotive companies would, did what they always did. They cut demand, except you can't do that in semiconductor because that demand got taken up by Home the... Home office. Yeah, exactly. So that 
is an incredible shift to recover from. So what I'm saying is that this is a very specialized industry. Those relationships really matter. And when new buyers from other industries come in and start procuring these parts, uh, they require a lot of catching up to successfully build these par- uh, complex parts into their products. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. When it comes to influencer marketing, there's a podcast that covers it all that you will want to add to your playlist. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. They talk about influencer marketing, social media, the creator economy, social commerce, and much, much more. They cover all aspects, including the creator economy, social commerce, the latest trends, the metaverse, TikTok trends, and that's just the beginning. The Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. Add the podcast to your playlist right now. So the semiconductor industry isn't the only place that Resilink plays. That's correct. correct. Are you seeing connections, those connections then because you're working in other industries and you're starting to see that there's a crossover? Yeah, absolutely. When we first saw the first medical device customers approve vendor list and bill of material, what I was shocked to see was that 65% of the bill of material was comprised of semiconductor type of components, the stuff that I was used to buying being a typical high-tech buyer. Okay. So that's what I mean. And now we see that in life sciences. You see medical device, aerospace, defense. There's so much semiconductor in a car, industrial equipment, appliances. I mean, air tags. Just think of these small devices that you see without even thinking about it. But when I see them, I see that semiconductors are in there. <laughs> okay. And, and then you think about the fact that an O-ring shortage can completely wipe out product, right? Yeah, exactly. This one tiny little piece. It's so many different failure points, right? You have, last year we saw the coolant issue, right? Where coolant, which is made by 3M, 80% of the world's coolant comes from one factory in Belgium. And because of ESG requirements, because of the pollution in the community, etc., the government went and shut down this one facility, except that completely threatened the semiconductor supply chain. Then you saw the same thing with neon, as you just talked about. So there are these pockets where we have failure points and every single part and every single player in the supply chain has to deliver perfectly in order for this supply chain to work. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Are you experiencing semiconductor supply chain disruptions? Did you know that over 80% of them originate with Tier 2 and Tier 3 suppliers? For nearly 20 years, DSV Inventory Management Solutions has helped companies achieve uninterrupted revenue operations and improve working capital efficiency with their strategic approach to vendor-managed inventory. With the integration of AI and real-time data modeling, you'll gain deeper visibility into your supply chain, allowing you to quickly identify potential disruptions and optimize inventory levels, giving you the critical resilience and agility needed in today's advanced manufacturing environment. Visit them at dsv.com slash IMS. We're back and we're talking with Bettina Weiss and Bindia Vakil on the importance of creating an agile semiconductor supply chain. Okay, so let's move on to 
the panel discussion. For the listeners who didn't attend the panel, can you set the stage a little bit? So we had Resolink, Intel, McKinsey, KLA, and Dell. But McKinsey is not part of the supply chain. McKinsey is... McKinsey is our thought leader yeah. for the supply chain management initiative. Um, Resolink is a strategic partner, both okay. bringing capabilities to bear to help our industry council kind of move a little faster and provide some fundamental solutions. The notion was that, you know, after a year, um, and the, the worst of the shortages being over, and after semi doing all this analysis and collection of how we might possibly scope this huge ocean that is supply chain, we felt we were ready to come out and actually have a conversation about what we're trying to do, which is really a focus on resiliency and on agility. Um, so Bindia's company obviously is, is super critical in, um, in helping us there. Okay. One of the things I learned during the panel is that the more traditional approaches to supply chain management are no longer the best way to go. What's changed? Um, when we say traditional approaches, what I think about are things like, oh, let's move factories. You know, we need to have factories back on shore or let's hold more inventory or let's second source everything. That's always thrown out as the strategy. Now, the problem with reshoring factories is that it costs billions of dollars to reshore factory. Um, you have to hold warehouses full of inventory for hundreds of millions of dollars. By the way, the cash gets tied up in that inventory buildup and what inventory levels we built up two years ago, we're actually dispositioning now as scrap because the inventory has a lifespan. It doesn't stay fresh forever. Even semiconductors have a lifespan and they need specialized control, climate, etc. So inventory is not a panacea. Reassuring by the way, the U.S. is just as disrupted as the rest of the world. There is no risk-free location. Um, not only that, second sourcing means you are actually jeopardizing your supplier trust and relationship because the supplier no longer trusts you to give you their business consistently. So it actually is detrimental to risk to have two sources. Unless you have a supplier with weak financials, you might not want to actually second source in this industry. Okay, so that's different mm -hmm. because part of the argument to not regionalize is that you want to keep multi-sources and you're saying that that's not the case. No, what I'm saying is that these strategies are offered up as the solution mm -hmm. and they, they, afford, they are not affordable. Right? They're not affordable. So what is affordable that does provide you some level of agility, resilience, and ability to migrate alerts, early warning systems, and supply chain mapping? Because that actually gives you the ability to react and respond in a fast way using data at your fingertips. And by the way, this data did not cost billions or even hundreds of millions of dollars to obtain. It is very accessible today. Okay, so let's say you're doing the mapping and some sort of disruption happens in one side of the world where you source a certain part or a material. Wouldn't that fast reaction be to shift to your other source that didn't have the disruption? 
Exactly. But okay. in order to do that, first you have to know something happened. Now, because of the widespread global nature of the semiconductor supply chain, a disruption that happens, let's say, in some town in Vietnam where a flood evacuation got declared in the local language that you are sleeping at night, you have no idea. So early warning system using AI and natural language processing will actually tell you in that moment that, hey, this town is under flood watch. What is the next thing you want to know? Well, does it matter to me? <laughs> Because there are so many of these happening on a constant basis. So the next part is where mapping of your supply chain comes in. If you have mapped your supply chain, you'll be able to draw a radius on that town and say, well, I have three suppliers who make these 10 critical parts. And these 10 critical parts are used on these 50 products, which are 500 million in revenue. So yeah, this region and this flood event is actually relevant to me. So now mapping and monitoring have given you this information at your fingertips before the flood actually happened. The evacuation has just been declared. So you still have time to move material out, blah, 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 do 10 different things before the event actually hits. This is what data can do. Now, the second thing you want to know is for those factories which have sites there, does the supplier have a backup site? Which normally, here's what happens without a system like um, where mapping and monitoring are being done. You find out that two weeks ago, this town in Vietnam was flooded when the supplier calls to decommit a PO. You're finding out two weeks later. Right. Okay. Okay, so what you want is not necessarily multiple suppliers. What you want is a supplier that has multiple locations where they can divert your order to a place that hasn't been hit by a disruption. Exactly. And you have to have that knowledge, which is just data. Where are my primary factories? What are my backup factories? How long will it take to start shipping from the backup? Is the backup factory qualified, yes or no, right? This information, if you just collected it as part of your mapping process up front, that gives you plenty to start with the day the evac order got announced because you're walking into this disruption knowing all of that right at your fingertips and you immediately are able to start taking the action of moving your production to that backup site without having a second source okay. dependency. Okay. Can I throw in another oh, dimension? Please, please. We heard this morning in the keynotes uh, the path to one trillion, right? The, the industry is fully expected to reach one trillion dollars by around 2030. The number of new fabs and fab extensions that are going to come online, the, ex the, the capacity that is being added is unprecedented. Even if half of that number materializes, we're going to see I would think an enormous stress on the supply chain and on the supplier network in places that are not as fortified, you know, like Vietnam and Philippines and uh, others. How can we even address this exponential vulnerability that we might be staring in the face? So you are seeing an interesting point in time where the network is in motion. The supply chain network is changing. We are designing, making these decisions that are literally designing the supply chain of the future. We are creating the headaches of the future, if you will. So if you go into this without really knowing where these supply chains are moving, which of your suppliers are moving to Vietnam versus India versus Brazil versus other Mexico, you're going in blind into the future. It's like sailing into the fog with no idea where you're headed. So what I'm, what the good news, which is actually something we talked about at the panel too, was, hey, this is, we're entering a world where uncertainty is the norm. 
and we're not going to see that diminish. The good news is we have access to plenty of technology, more technology than we've ever had before, more data than we've ever had before. What is gating our, is us is adoption. So we are not adopting it fast enough and putting that in place in our companies fast enough because of fear of going wrong, fear of making the wrong bet, fear of... But you see, failure is going to teach you. You're going to learn from what you fail to accomplish. So doing something is far better. And even if you do it wrong, it is far better to do something than do nothing right. in this environment. Once you start using the data that you have, you learn, yeah. you get more insights, you get more information, and you can make better decisions, basically. Actually, that was something interesting that came out. Multiple people said this. The best way to clean up your data is to start using it. Yeah, yeah I remember that. How much do supply chain issues impact our sustainability efforts? And vice versa, and vice versa. I, I, I would imagine, right? I mean, obviously, those two are interconnected and um, I think increasingly impacting one another. We have two distinct initiatives in SEMI, but um, we are already seeing convergence in some areas. We're seeing PFAS entering the supply chain management initiative. We're seeing sustainability issues in, in discussions around um, new materials, right, um, and sourcing new materials and their environmental friendliness and all that. So I think at SEMI we're going to do the best that we can to be transparent um, and make sure that we are uh, cognizant of those areas where the two initiatives mesh and others also come in. Uh, Take Automotive, for example, has both a huge sustainability and a supply chain component. That's um, kind of what SEMI is there for, right? Well, we're trying to get the right people around the table around for, this, for the uh, appropriate issues and, and work together. But there's a lot of back and forth right now. So this is the SEMI Supply Chain Management Initiative? Yes. Okay. And then how does this initiative seek to address some challenges covered in the panel in building agility? A lot of it has to do with actually starting to frame and define the problem. Right? Um, so we're talking a lot about even agreeing on terminology and what we call things or how we define resiliency or how we define agility so that, that this definition can percolate through the supply chain and everybody's singing from the same sheet. That will be a win already, right? And then you can talk about um, learnings, best practices, what has worked for you, what might work for other companies in different parts of the supply chain. That's where transparency comes in. The advisory council that we formed is actually really quite open about talking what they know and also where they struggle. I think that is the first important step to say, all right, where's the sweet spot for collective action? Yeah, I think that getting the terminology right and getting the problem statement aligned is really critical. I mean, we see the supply chain risk and resilience problem as being defined as forecast accuracy all the time. And forecast accuracy can really hijack this whole topic because the forecast is always wrong. If right. we got the forecast right, every supply chain person would be out of a job. I'm just saying, like, it's job security yeah. that the forecast is wrong. By the way, forecast accuracy, whoever invents forecast accuracy of 90% will be a owning islands in the Pacific, I'm just saying. <laughs> so, so we can't fix forecast accuracy at least today. So we have to think of supply. The supply side is known. It is quantifiable. Knowing who's in your supply chain, who are the supplier suppliers, where are those factories, where do these raw materials come from, where are the single points of failure, 
What is happening there? We can work on that problem and calibrate and manage within a range. Build those relationships of trust and transparency with the, everything is doable, has been done before. We certainly have 500,000 suppliers on our platform collaborating, sharing data with transparency and trust with our customers, event after event, working together to get out of it Amazing. intact. Amazing. What's a little bit more foggy, though, is then where the chip goes. For example, if you're talking about a semiconductor that comes out of a, uh, a foundry or an IDM, uh, it is much less transparent where that chip will end up, in a car, in a washing machine, in a refrigerator, wherever. Uh, and that's where demand is so tricky. Right. As was exemplified by the chip shortage where it was automotive chips and then when those POs got canceled, the lines were shifted over to producing the chips for home office and chips. yeah. Not the same chips, different technology, but they used the same tool lines and then when it came time to recoup that it it, it was wasn't gone. possible. Yeah. Okay, well I'm afraid we have to wrap it up. But it's been fabulous to talk to you, and I think we should continue this conversation in another episode down the road. And um, where can people go to learn more? Uh, go to semi.org and look for the Supply Chain Management uh, Initiative. We have a dedicated landing page with a lot more information. Okay, I can put a link to that. And yep. reslink.com? Reslink.com. Okay. Yeah. Thank Thanks you. so much, ladies. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Next week on the 3D Insights Podcast, we'll be speaking with Semi's Mashmi Bhatt and Colin O'Mara, CEO of the National Wildlife Federation, about climate equity and social impact. Then on Monday, July 31st, get ready for an exclusive interview with Semi CEO Ajit Manocha as he shares his key takeaways from Semicon West 2023. Then on August 3rd, we'll be wrapping up our coverage of Semicon West with the 3D Insights Members Spotlight Semicon West Edition. There's lots more to come, so tune in next time to the 3D Insights Podcast. The 3D Insights Podcast is a production of 3D Insights, LLC.